0: So let's go back to Matthew 9, but also let's take a quick peek just to read a section out of John 20. We will look at verse 30 and 31. After after I read these two verses, a quick prayer. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Bow with me one more time. Father, take your word and plant it deep into our hearts. And might fruit, eternal fruit, spring forth from our souls. For the sake of your glory, our good, and the proclamation of your goodness and grace around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we will almost get through Matthew 9 this morning. Uh, As we look at the last bit of this chapter, especially this morning, we're going to take a good chunk from 18 through 34. Um, And as we look at that section, we're going to see more of the same. From what we've seen since we jumped back into Matthew and came in back into chapter 8 and has gone through chapter 8 and verse 9. Verses 18 through 34 are similar events. Uh, we've got healing of lifelong disease, illnesses. We're even raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, casting out the demons. A lot of the work of Christ that has happened in Matthew 8 is happening here in Matthew 9. But when I say more of the same, I don't mean it in the sense of its commonality, but in the sense that we're just getting more of this extraordinary, divine, and miraculous work of Jesus that's happened in 8 and now in chapter 9. And as you recall, it wasn't just Jesus doing amazing things, but Jesus exercising his authority over creation and his authority over evil powers. But in doing so, in in, in exercising that authority, he's also declaring by his actions, revealing to his audience then, and also as Matthew's written it to whomever is to read this, that Jesus is the son of man, the son of man who has been given a kingdom, authority, dominion, rule, and power from the ancient of days god the father but also in the in matthew 9 and at the end the verses that we won't look at today lord willing we'll come back to next sunday verses 35 through 38 is a transition point out of where we've been since matthew uh four really there's five major this is just kind of laying a, a map for you as we go through matthew here there's five major discourses or teachings or sections in Matthew. Um, we've been in the first, like I said, when we hit the end of Matthew 4 and started the Sermon on the Mount, all the way up into this point, we have been studying this first major section, but there's also a little bit of interesting fact that while Matthew set, writes his gospel in five different sections, five different big teachings of Jesus, um, it's possible that he's doing it for the sake of his Jewish audience, because all throughout the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus—I mean, Matthew's been making hints that Jesus is a greater Moses. Okay, we've seen um, we've seen Jesus escape death as a baby. Uh, we've seen Jesus control the seas. We've seen Jesus speak law from a mountain. All reflecting uh, acts of Moses. Um, and then the way that he might Matthew might be showing us that Jesus is a greater Moses is by divi- dividing up his gospel into five sections. And how would that be reflecting Moses? The five first books of the Bible, the Torah... Written by Moses, the five great teachings of Israel. And so I just want you to see that. And we're going to really, next week, we're going to really use that transition in 35, 36, 37, and 38 to help us transition as well. But this week, um, our goal today is to walk through 18 through 34, um, observing. More of the same, the extraordinary works of Jesus, but not necessarily focused on the works or what's happening, but seeing the connection between faith and the works of Jesus. Okay, so faith is a big theme that comes out in these sections. And so today the title of this sermon is A Lesson in Faith, because what I, I want to lay this out before we go any further. If you flip on the TV and watch a Christian station with three-letter words— pick whichever one, you're going to see bad lessons in faith, more than likely. And I want to explain that as we go through this, and, and you'll understand it. Um, but also looking forward, I want you to also understand what we're going to be going next week as we hit 35, 37, 36, 37, 38, is we're going to see the negative effects of poor leaders spiritually, uh, also politically In the homes as well, but we're going to also see the compassion of Jesus, which is also going to be in today as well. So let's let's walk through this this text beginning in verse 18. Remember, faith being the main theme that we're going to focus on today. Verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Now, here's our first taste of Jesus reacting to faith. And how do we know that this ruler is acting in faith? Well, it's, 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 it's all over his words. It's all over in what he said to Jesus. Look what he said to Jesus. My daughter has just died. All right, He is in great need. But then he says, I've, but then he goes, he goes to Jesus and says, but come and lay your hand on her. So he acknowledges Jesus has the answer, or maybe more correctly, is the answer to his situation, his problem, the death of his daughter. But then he says, not only the problem, that Jesus is the solution, but he gives what Jesus' outcome would be. She will live. He's making a statement of faith. He is declaring faith. Now, the first point I want us to make about Christian faith, biblical faith, and this I'm, I'm getting very nuanced here. I'm making, I, you have to really pay attention to see the, the, de, the degrees of difference here because you could approach faith this way and be biblically correct, or you could change it just a bit and not be Biblically correct in your faith. So the first thing I want us to understand about Christian faith is it's faith in Christ, not the outcome. Faith in Christ, not the outcome. The the outcome is secondary. Okay, Faith doesn't say, my daughter's dead, I have faith and she will live. Faith says... If she will live, it's because of Jesus. Okay? What American Christians have a tendency to say, based off a wrong teaching of what biblical faith is, is we might say this. I have faith that Jesus will take care of my pain or my problem. He will heal me. He will deliver me. Here's the problem. He might not. But I promise you something. Or the most important thing. He is the only one who can heal you. He is the only one who can fix your problem. Your faith. Or the amount thereof. Does not pin God into a corner that says. He has to do it. He might not want to. Now. Before we continue on in, in, uh, in this direction, there's a side note. Something that jumped out to me that was very odd when I first noticed it. Notice the words that describes Jesus' reaction to the ruler. What, what does it say Jesus did? He rose and followed him. Now, does that sound familiar? Look at verse 9 of chapter 9. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And look what Matthew does. He rose and followed him. Same Greek words. Same thing that's happening. Now, you and I, we obey and follow, along with all others who've been called by Christ. We rise and follow his commands. Our work, our duty begins when he calls us. But what gets Jesus up and going? The needs of his people. The needs of his people get him to stand up and go. It gets him to go and do his work. That's Jesus' mo. You know, when we say that, I don't know. Do you know what mo means? It's it's Latin. I had to look it up. Modus operandi. Someone's habitual way of operating. If it's their M.O., that's how they normally work, right? Well, this is how Jesus normally works. The Son of God, when he sees the need of the children of Abraham, Hebrews 2, he leaves his glory at the throne room, Philippians 2. He condescends, he follows after them by clothing himself in the flesh, becoming a man. So what Jesus did when he rose and followed this ruler was the same thing he did when he left the throne room in heaven, followed us by putting on flesh in order to help us. Jesus operates based on our need. And this is what we get to next week when we see the word compassion. Jesus rises and follows this ruler because of his compassion. The Son of God is being moved to work because of his love for the weary, the broken, and the lost. Now look at 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came and came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said... Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. Now, many are going to take this section. Let's stop there for a second. Many will take a section like this and say, okay, if you have enough faith, God will do anything. If you just, all you have to do is just believe enough. Be strong enough in your faith and God will do it. And and there is a sense that without faith, you will not receive anything from God. You will not receive the work of Christ. Whether it's healing, prosperity, salvation, justification by faith. But the power is not in the strength of your faith or the amount of your faith. Because we have to remember two things when we we think about biblical faith. Faith makes two declarations. Number one, this is the first, first declaration that biblical faith makes. With me, fill in the blank, is impossible. True declaration of faith says, if it's up to me, it's impossible. The second... But with God, everything, anything, all things are possible. So what is that? An acknowledgment of our helplessness. And then the acknowledgment of God's power and all the possibilities being in him. When we, th- when we think, if I have faith, then God will. Let me say that again. If we think, if it's in our minds, and we might not even be saying it, because there's the problem. We might know this right. We might know this rightly, but when we stumble and we get into the the, the, the thick of things and the and, and the problems, and we think, okay, it, I know I just need to believe. So if I just believe good enough, God's gonna fix it. He's gonna work it out. But when you have that mindset, you take the, you you're you're ultimately taking power away from God and putting it into your own hands, right? If, if I could just, if I could just be strong in my faith, no, the, the point is, is that, or the ironic statement is, is that those who are living by faith are acknowledging their weakness. And so to actually live by faith is to live in acknowledgement that you're weak not strong <coughs> when you put the power in your hands and not in the Lord's Jesus doesn't rise up and do anything he remains in a seat because he knows that you're operating not in true not in true religion but really in superstition when you say if i just believe enough God will do something. Look at verse 23. When Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. So let's stop for a sec. In 2 Corinthians, we find out from Paul that he has a problem, a physical problem. We refer to it, he referred to it as the thorn in his side. Right? And what did he do? He prayed three times that God would take that thorn out of his side God didn't as far as we can tell God left whatever ailment or issue that Paul was dealing with well, would we question Paul's faith It's like Paul you just didn't believe right man you just didn't believe enough no now on the flip side when we think back to this account If we had that mindset that if you just believe enough, this little girl, did she have faith that God would raise her from the dead? Are you listening? Did she have faith that God would raise her from the dead? She was dead. God had a reason to not heal Paul and God had a reason to raise this girl from the dead. He had a reason to say no to Paul and a reason to say yes to this ruler. To Paul, he says. Oh, let me back up. When we have the mindset that our faith should make God do something, we bring God down and elevate ourselves. We say my comfort, my healing, this finding the solution to my problem is more important than your eternal ordained purpose. God had a reason to leave that thorn in Paul's side, and perhaps he has a reason not to remove any pain from your body this morning. To Paul, he taught him about the power of God. The power of God that was made perfect in his weakness. Paul's weakness. Why? That he would boast all the more in his weakness. So that the power of Christ would rest upon him. So Paul became more powerful. As he acknowledged more his weakness. And the power of God. All while battling the pain. But we also know that God may purpose. We also know that God made purpose to take away the pain and the illness. Why? For the same reason. To make known his power. He left the pain in Paul to make known his power. He he, he removed death from this girl. Raised her up. Why? To make known his power. Look what he said. It, It says, And Jesus passed on from oh i got ahead of myself and the report of this went through all that district we ask for god to heal if we if we ask god to heal to solve the problem because god can we ask because he can we ask because he is compassionate and merciful to his people but here i want to make an asterisk and say but you must ask you must ask let us let us also not forget that if he does heal us or solve our dilemma our problem that we must spread his compassion and mercy, and power throughout all that district as well. So to say, Lord, heal me, and he heals you, and then you tell no one, what have you done? You've put uh, a basket over a light. Verse 27 As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. Okay, these men may have been blind. But they weren't ignorant. When they cry, son of David, what do we know that they know? We know this, that we know that they know that Jesus is an eternal king. Because that is who the son of David is. Second Samuel chapter 7. A son of David who is eternal and sits on an eternal throne to an eternal kingdom. And it, in verse 28 it says, When they entered the house, these blind men, they came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe? Now let, let's understand that the words faith and believe... Believe is the verb aspect of faith, which is a noun. Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. So again, what can we notice? We notice faith is primarily directed towards the person of Christ and secondarily towards the act or the outcome. So faith Looks at Christ first and then also the outcome. Who's, what, their faith isn't in that they have sight. Their faith is in Christ who will give them sight. Verse 29, then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. Let me emphasize again, as I've tried to warn us about our super faith, or, or our trusting in our own faith. Let me let me say this this way. Even though I'm warning about being super faithful. For the sake of getting something or being healed you cannot run into the other side of the ditch and say i don't need faith god will just heal me he's showing us very clearly that apart from faith you are disconnected from the works of christ the error or the 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 problem that we have to face in our current time and culture Is elevating our faith as that which actually saves us. And removing and uh, bringing down him who actually works and saves us. Verse 31. But they went away and spread his faith through all that district. There again. His compassion and grace does not just stay with them but goes out. 32 as they were going away behold a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him and when the demon had been cast out the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled saying never was anything like this seen in Israel and again we we got we've got that notion of Jesus causing people to scratch their heads. We talked about that a few Sundays ago. Like who's the, who's this guy? W- who's doing such things which points us to this important truth the healings of christ the miracles of christ were not the main mission of jesus they were very very crucial but not the main aspect of his ministry what did the angels proclaim the angel proclaimed to joseph in chapter 1 she will bear a son, you will call his name Jesus, and he will heal and uh, heal everyone and perform miracles. He didn't say that. He said, you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Although the fullness of Jesus' work one day will culminate in all of us being disease, illness-free, pain-free having the fullness of our body saved in Christ, the curse of God and the curse of sin removed from all of creation because Jesus ultimately defeats sin and death and saves this world. That includes our body. But the ultimate, as the ultimate goal and purpose, the way to saving the world, is to save people from their sin and the wrath of God. But in verse 34, the Pharisees say something uh, that I want us to note. Just take a note of. He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Now, in the margins of your Bible, just write the words chapter 12. uh, And take note of that because we're going to come to that again in chapter 12 with greater force as this accusation gets hurled at Christ again. Again. That he cast out demons by the prince of demons. So just keep that in mind as we continue through Matthew. And then verse 35. As we're concluding here. And we're going to touch on this passage. And then pick it back up next week. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Teaching in their synagogues. And proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction. This is the language that I spoke of that signals the end of this first major section. Jesus going throughout all the villages, the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing and and every disease and affliction. If you go back and look at chapter 4, the same exact statement is said, showing us this first section of Jesus' ministry. But from this point on at the end of chapter 9, you go into chapter 10, something happens. One more healing takes place. One more. That's it. 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew and the majority of the healings and the miracles of Jesus take place in a chapter and a half. Now, If you encounter a church, a ministry, a preacher, or even a person, and the majority of their talk is about physical bodily healing, they've got it backwards. Right? I'm going to say that again. I don't know the number. I, I can't. I can't. Put it in, let, let's say 95% of the Gospel of Matthew is not about physical healing. But yet, there are ministries who spend 95% of their time. There are churches, there are preachers, there are even Christians who spend 90% of their time talking about physical healing. They've got it backwards. The body is going into the dust. Jesus came to save his people from their sins and ultimately to save them and give them eternal life. When you spend all your time dealing in miracles and healings, you're spending all your time thinking about the temporary, the finite, that which fades away. But the gospel comes and breaks in and says eternal, forever, everlasting The gospel comes in and says, it's not about how you have and live life now and get the best out of this life now. But I'm telling you, in order to enjoy eternal life, you must die in this life. (coughs) Remember, Jesus is flipping everything upside down while he's making it actually right side up. In order to save your life, you must lose it. (coughs) The work of Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, is to set apart a people for God for all eternity. To wash away their sins and to cleanse them of all unrighteousness. To cover them by the blood of Christ and clothe them in His righteousness. Jesus comes to bring the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The eternal, eternal joy of the triune God. Go and hear the story of Joni Erickson Tata. Did I say that right? At a young age, she had an accident, diving, I think, and broke her neck and has been paralyzed from the neck down the majority of her life. Her faith would put... Me to shame. Well, she knows number one, she's going to have a new body at the return of Christ. But she knows ultimately, she knows ultimately that the things that are unseen are eternal. Christ comes to bring the good news of an eternal kingdom. And he commands as he goes from town to town preaching that all of his hearers repent of their sin and believe in this gospel and to follow him. The same message, you know, you think about it. You think Jesus is going from town to town proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and you're like, well, but wait, First Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 3 hadn't been written yet. So how are they going to know that the gospel is that Jesus came and died for our sins according to the scripture and was raised from the dead according to the scripture and was made known? How is Jesus going to proclaim the gospel if Paul hadn't invented it yet? Well, the angels proclaim the gospel to the shepherds. On that night Jesus was born, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So I appeal to you to have faith this morning. To believe Christ can heal, most importantly, your dead, sick heart. And that's that's the gospel. That Christ came to heal our wicked hearts and you must believe on him in order to be saved you must trust him you must have faith in Jesus Christ the Son of God the king of kings the king of his eternal kingdom and it's only by faith that you can be healed that your dead heart can be removed and you can be given a heart that is alive and beating and fleshly and has affections for Jesus and desires to obey Him all of your days, I appeal to you to believe in Christ and then be baptized in Christ before this assembly and become a part of this body. But I also want to appeal to you not just that Christ can heal your dead heart, but Christ can heal your hangnail. Now, I I don't mean to be silly, but the point I want you to make is that you must take all of your pain, whether it's the loss of a loved one or it's I burnt supper. Take it all to Him. Because He will heal. He will help. He will solve. Nothing that we take to Him is too small. Maybe it is pain in the back. Or maybe it's a pain in your neck. He has all all authority in heaven and on earth. And so every problem... Everything we deal with, He has authority over. If you try to take care of it, if you try to hang on to it, or you just say, if I believe, give it to Him. Give Him your heart. Give Him your hangnail. Three things. Trust His power when you have a problem. Trust His power when you have a problem. Well, if he doesn't fix it, trust his will when he doesn't fix it. If he doesn't fix it, it's not because you didn't have enough power or he didn't have enough power. It's because in his good divine will, he decided that it was the, the best thing for you that you held on to that problem. But you held on to it, not in anxiety but you gave it to him in faith. Trust his power, trust his will, and then trust his word to help you to respond correctly to however he responds to you. If he leaves that thorn in your flesh, if you do not turn to his word, you will grow bitter. You will grow resentful to the people around you, most importantly, God. Trust His power to handle your problems. Trust His will, no matter how He answers it. Trust His word to help you to respond to how He answers it. If He solves your problem, heals your pain, rejoice in the Lord. Tell us tonight at our prayer meeting. And let's be thankful together. And then go and tell the world what Christ has done for you whether it is the new heart or the pain gone away from the hangnail. I want you to hear this. The purpose of faith is not to bring things to you or to fix you, but to bring you to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the greatest gift of all. Trust in his power, trust in his will, and trust in his word. Let's pray. Father, your your word is perfect and true. And all things in it and your divine purpose has been given to us just how you desired. And so help us to hear it and interpret it by your Spirit. That we might not lean on a false teaching of faith, that we might not trust in our own power, our own will, but that we would depend on you. God, I ask for those who do not give their problems and pain to you, that you would convict them heavily this morning. Perhaps increase the pain. Perhaps take it away so that they would know of your power and that they might lean more on you. For those who are, God, uncertain about why you have not done something yet or why you've kept pain or a problem within their lives that they would be convicted that you do all things well and that your main concern for them is not the pain but but their conformity to Christ their holiness and Lord for whoever might be in confusion of how you have responded to their prayer bring them to your truth and sanctify them in it And help them to turn from unbelief, for self-exaltation, and humble them in your word. For that is the only way that we can all be made more like Christ. Correct any of our misconceived notions of what it is to believe. But help us to live by faith. In everything and in all things. Jesus' name, amen.